Hi, and welcome to the Growing Book Club. 12 books, one year, new you. I am your host, Sarah Herring, and I am so excited to go on this personal growth journey with you. Happy reading, my friends. Well, I cannot believe we are already on the third week of book club. This is crazy, but I so appreciate everyone who has been participating. If this is your third weekend, way to go. If this is your first weekend, we love having you. This book club so far has been such a great experience for me, and I hope you all are enjoying it as well. As many of you know, we are on our third week of reading the book Wired That Way, which means next week is our book club session over Zoom. So we're going to meet together as a group. If you are interested in being a part of that, please direct message me through Instagram. That's going to be the easiest way to listen into that. I wanted to put together a group session where we could all come together and talk about the book. Here I have talked This will be the third week about the book Wired That Way, and you guys have heard all of my thoughts, but I want to hear you, and a big reason why I started this book club was to have a sense of community, and with all of the craziness that's still going on with COVID, there's not a lot of opportunities for people to gather together in groups or or socialize. And so this was a this was a really important element to me. And so next week we will likely not have a podcast. I'm going to kind of get a poll from people that are participating to see if they'd be willing to have that recorded so that we can share with people who are not able to attend because I think that there is so much value that each individual person can add. We all have our own stories and I just really believe we never know who we're going to impact. We never know by just saying one or two things what a difference it can make in someone else's life. So next Thursday, March 4th, 8 p.m. over Zoom. Again, direct message me on Instagram if you want the login for that, and I will get that over to you. And just look out for a couple of additional posts, and we will keep everyone updated as we continue forward with next week. One other plugin I want to make really fast, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the introduction to this podcast series, I would really, really, really encourage it. There is a lot of basic information that I cover, why I started this book club, a couple of dis- different disclaimers that are important to know, and just a general overview of, of my goal and my vision with this. I am a firm believer in having having goals, having and, and goals are great, but when you have a vision, when you have that big long-term stretched out in front of you, then those little goals kind of come together. And so it's really, really important to me and, 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 and what I put together for that introduction. Of course, I'm nothing special, but I just would love for you to be able to listen to that, especially if you choose to continue listening to this podcast, which I sure hope you do because... Reading is so powerful, and I am already getting a lot of really positive feedback from people about this podcast. Okay, so here we go, guys. The big surprise for this week is now revealed. So I am bringing in a very special co-host today, my incredible husband, Taylor Herring. He is joining in on this, and I'm going to essentially be interviewing him Well, I guess for us, it's just more of kind of a conversation. We're just going to go back and forth. I have some questions for him, and he is going to talk about his personality traits 
And from there, we're actually going to go into chapter six of Wired That Way, the marriage chapter. And I have to tell everyone that as we're talking about this chapter, yes, this is focused on on people who are married, but with that being said, there is still so much that can come out of this if you're in any type of serious relationship or maybe you are currently single in your life and you're looking at these things for down the road. And again, you never know who around you you might be able to 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 help in, in some way in your life. And, and there's so much value still to gain from all of this. Taylor, will you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and who you are as a person? Because I know so much about you, but so far people here do not. Hey guys, how are you doing? My name is Taylor. Just want to thank my wife, Sarah, for allowing me to be part of this. This is actually pretty dang cool, and I'm super proud of her for doing all this. And just a little bit about me. I mean, I'm a Utah born and raised, uh, specifically Orem, and um, I enjoy outdoors, mountain biking, hiking, going camping. I mean, you name it, motorcycles, cars, dirt bikes, uh, all of the above. I, I love it. Taylor, we're going to... I want to talk to you about your personality. Taylor is primarily a melancholy, which is totally different than me. I am a sanguine, or excuse me, a choleric sanguine, and he is a melancholy choleric. So he and I both share the category of choleric, but I figured with Taylor's experience that he would be able to relate to so many more people because while I've talked to maybe people in audiences that are choleric and sanguine, I felt that he would be able to relate to a lot of the melancholies out there. I apologize, neither Taylor or I are phlegmatic, so um, the green, and I should clarify this as well, Taylor actually brought this up last week. Sanguines are yellow, cholerics are red, phlegmatics are green, and melancholies are blue. So that is another great way to remember these personalities is knowing that for me personally, I'm a red-yellow, and Taylor is a blue-red. So, Tay, if you could tell us about your first experience reading Wired that way and how you felt discovering that you were a blue melancholy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not going <clears> to <throat> lie or sugarcoat it. I was a little depressed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always thought that I was a uh, yellow sanguine and thought that that was, you know, just who I was and and that I had a little bit of red cleric in me and I honestly was a little bit down about it because anything that I'd ever heard about the blue melancholy was they were always depressed and sad and they were always, you know, kind of the bore and it really kind of made me down a little because I was like I don't want to be that guy. Like I don't want to Oh, I hope people don't view me as that and I don't want to be that kind of person. So um, I guess just to answer, yeah, that question is, you know, I, I honestly, I was a little sad about it. I'm not going to lie. I, I was pretty bummed out. Yeah. I mean, right before we started recording this, Taylor and I were talking about the Disney Pixar movie Inside Out. And do you want to talk a little bit about that and your even experience with that movie when you first discovered yeah, Melancholies? It, I mean, I think, so I'd seen that movie, obviously, before I'd read this book. And, uh, you know, sadness, she's always just moping around and depressed and always looking at the negative, pessimistic side of things. And, you know, I have never really felt like that's me. I, you know, of course, all of us have our bad days. But overall, I, I don't feel like I was or am that kind of person. So... Um, again, just 
tying it back, that's the first thing that popped into my head was sadness. And I was like, dang it. Like, well, I guess that's kind of then who I need to be or what I need to do. That was, and I didn't want to. And so that was, that was my initial thought. Right. As you started reading Wired that way and started discovering more about the melancholy personality, I, I personally remember when you were reading this book and it was like a major, major aha moment for you and almost releasing or freeing, I guess might be a better word. It was really freeing for you as you started to read through the different personality strengths of the melancholy. We've actually talked about this a lot, how Taylor went many, many, many years as masking as a sanguine. Um, a yellow sanguine. For those who have not listened to some of the previous podcasts, in our first Wired That Way episode, we talked about masking and how masking can actually be very harmful because you have your true personality, but you're pretending to be a different personality. You're putting on different characteristics of different personalities, and it doesn't allow you to truly live out your gifts and become the best version of you. And so, Taylor, can you talk about that a little bit, about what you discovered with masking as a sanguine? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that just to touch on one thing you talked about earlier is, um, and, and also to kind of clear things up as far as, you know, why I was so sad is I never understood that there were strengths and weaknesses to each color. Um, I always thought that it was just kind of a cookie cutter, everyone fits into this box type of a deal. Um, and then that's why kind of like you mentioned is when I started to read into strengths and weaknesses, it just kind of, it, it completely changed the game for me because I started to notice like, Oh, okay. Like a lot of the times when people talk about, you know, like the blue melancholies, it's usually focused on the weak stuff, um, on the weaknesses of that blue melancholy. And so for me, just, you know, realizing that there are also strengths of the blue melancholy, just like there's strengths of all the other personalities, um, that really perked me up quite a bit because there's a lot of really cool strengths about it. Growing up, my mom is like the ultimate sanguine. Like if any of you know my mom or have met her, you know for a fact, like she is like resides in all of the major sang yellow sanguine, just that is just her. And so I felt like growing up, you know, that's kind of how I needed to be, um, you know, just kind of that yellow sanguine and just super outgoing and that's how I would be accepted by friends and by society and so anytime that I hung out with friends you know whether it be school or parties or whatever just growing up I always tried to be that you know life of the party yellow sanguine and and it's not necessarily that you know I didn't believe in I guess my blue melancholy it's just that I didn't know I didn't understand it and so for me I was trying to be a personality that wasn't my true strength like I I was decent at it but I never felt like I could really excel and I would always see those kids you know those yellow sanguine kids and I was like man like it just comes so easy for them like how do they do it you know they're witty they're quick how do I be more like that and so I tried for years and years and years and yeah again I was I was okay but I was never and like to that point of oh this is just easy and so again kind of with what you know Sarah was saying is just with being figuring out the strengths of the blue melancholy ever since I've learned that and those traits and qualities I feel like I've been able to really maximize those and it comes so much more naturally it's like a very freeing feeling something we discussed in week one of this podcast 
was a strength that I have noticed of Taylor's is that while he, and I think a lot of people might interpret that him as a sanguine as well when they first meet him because he is really warm. He has a very inviting spirit. But when you really start talking to him, Taylor has such a strength of really relating to people. And when we go back to the emotional needs of melancholies, melancholies have a key strength of being sensitive. And that's a very positive outlook is they're very sensitive. They're, they listen to people. They're, they're very in tune with other people's feelings. Taylor, can you talk about that a little bit more as well? Because you've recognized that ever since reading this book too, is, is that you do have a gift at being able to just truly connect with people. Maybe not, you don't maybe as much enjoy being in those large, big group settings, but you love those small, intimate one-on-one experiences. Yeah, um, as far as, like, just reading other people, I wouldn't say I'm, like, super good at it by any means. I think you are. <laughs> um, no, it's more of, like, I, I I enjoy getting to know people and just really trying to understand their thought process and putting myself in their shoes and, um, you know, trying to be as genuine as possible just with that person and their personality and just who they are um, in general. And I mean, I'll be honest and I'm not going to really sugarcoat this. There are some people I just, I don't like talking to them. (laughs) And I think that, you know, regardless of those people that I want to talk to for a long time and then those that I don't, I always try to make it a point to help them understand that I do care about them and I want their best interest. Um, I think the worst thing that someone can do is to show someone else or have someone else feel that, you know, you don't care about them and that they're just, you know, your life would be better without them or go on without them, so to say, you know, you, you, you can only make an impression on someone in a short amount of time and how you make them feel and how you treat them will change the game. And, and who cares what they think about you? It's just what value are you adding to them and how are you helping them as a person? Taylor, I want to talk to you about your strengths because you have a lot of strengths as a melancholy as does everyone but I would love to hear what you have learned about living in your strengths and talk about some of the key ones that stand out to you and where you feel like you really excel yeah um I think that one of the big things for me was as a sanguine or a yellow sanguine you know who I thought I really truly was is uh you know they're all about being an big groups and being out and being social and you know just always go 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 and and as a blue melancholy you do need that time and you need that space um and I think that one's a big one for me is I've realized you know whether I had the choice to go out you know to a party on the weekend or to a big family event uh or if I had the choice to get pizza and watch a movie at home Man, I would choose pizza and a movie any day of the week. Like, We've had many of those date nights, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably one of my favorite things. And it's just because it's quiet, it's calm, it's relaxing, and it fills my bucket. Um, I just, I don't know. That's something for me that once I found out about the strengths of a blue melancholy and how to recharge. And that was one of the biggest things for me was just learning that it's okay not to be social all the time and there's no reason that you have to even even as a yellow saying I mean there's no reason that they have to but obviously that's something that fills their bucket 
Um, it's something for me that's a little bit more draining. I'm not, you know, I, I'll do it. Not a big deal. But if I had the choice, I would choose the latter. Something that me and Sarah just read in the Wired That Way book um, was on, on the marriage chapter. It, it basically talked about this husband and wife and, you know, they went to New York and it was on a business trip for the husband. And when he got done with his convention, the last, like the, he, all he wanted to do was go back to the hotel and grab a pizza. <laughs> and it said that the wife, she wanted, you know, she was the yellow sanguine and she wanted to go out and see the town. And me and Sarah kind of laughed about it because that, that, that's us. I would, so rather just grab a pizza, go back to the hotel room, just kick it and chill. Sarah, I know for a fact would be like, let's go do something. And so, and that's, there's nothing wrong with either one. It's just, that's your personality and it's learning to blend with each other and um, have grace for each other. Do you want to talk about your strengths of organization, tidiness? Yeah, totally. I, uh, I love organizing, just being, you know, having things clean, put together. Um, I think in a previous podcast, Sarah had mentioned how, you know, I'm, I'm big about, uh, smells and, uh, lighting and decoration and just making, you know, your home. I know that this is an example, but just making your home a piece of a place of peace and rest. But I feel like the more I can be that way, the rest in the rest of the other areas of, my life, the more peace I have as a blue melancholy. And I think, you know, that bleeds over into my work as well. And just being tidy, organized, um, and as, you know, meticulous as I can. And for me, it, it almost thrills me when I can get more and more and more organized. Um, and of course, you know, I have those days or times where I'm just like, I could care less right now. But I think overall, I don't know if any of you have had that feeling before, and I, I know quite a few people get this, but you just sleep better at night when, you know, your room or your house is clean and organized. You just, it's a little bit more peaceful um, rather than having clothes out or just random miscellaneous items sitting out and about. And I think just being organized and I love it. Like it just makes me peace. It gives me peace and brings me a lot of happiness. Another strength of melancholies is the ability to analyze deeply. Can you go into that one a little bit as well? Yeah, um, I think this can be taken two ways. You've probably heard the terminology of going down a rabbit hole with your train of thought. And that's something that uh, when I was first learning about blue melancholies that I was like a little depressed about because I do do that. You know, I, I sometimes overthink or um, overanalyze or, you know, kind of, I go down the wrong rabbit hole in the sense of thinking the worst and it's really not the worst. Um, and I think that this can also be a strength is something that I've come to find out because by like overanalyzing or, you know, really thinking deep about things or topics or what people are saying, if, if in anything, it helps me to connect better with the person because I can quickly try to like think down the road of what they said, what it could mean and what, how, or what I should say and respond and what's the best thing that I could say to that person or how's the best way to respond to that person. And it just gets you thinking just a little bit deeper than that surfacey thinking everything is bliss. You know, it, it just helps deepen the relationship. As I've mentioned in previous podcasts, I don't like focusing too much on weaknesses 
But for this question, I want to ask Taylor what he does when he finds himself living in certain weaknesses. Honey, if you could talk about when you find yourself getting easily depressed. You you briefly mentioned, obviously, just about going down those rabbit holes. But what are things that you found help get you out of living in that weakness of, of living in your emotions? Yeah, that's something that I've honestly worked on quite a bit and still am working on. But I think that, you know, not getting depressed or, or getting down and something that helps pull me out of that is just taking a step back and realizing, you know, what what can I control? You know, what do I have control of? And then I think another thing that's helped me out a ton is just reflecting on where have I been? Where am I now? Am I on track to where I want to be? And I think that thing, that for me is a big deal because it helps me kind of have almost like a, I guess you could call it almost like a meditation moment uh, where I can kind of take a step back from everything and say, I'm okay. Like I'm doing okay. I'm doing better than I think. I'm being really hard on myself. And I think one thing too, with like a weakness and something that I struggle with is kind of like what you just said is where I overanalyze something that someone says to me, or maybe something that they don't say to me. And I all of a sudden start internalizing it really hard and, you know, getting down on myself and thinking, well, what's wrong with me? Or maybe I said that wrong, or maybe I should have said this, or maybe I shouldn't have said that. And I start, you know, kind of spiraling out of control. And then emotionally, I kind of get down on myself. And I think, crap, like, man, I, I wish I could go back in time and change that. Um, but I think that something that's helped me is just realizing, you know what, what's done has been done, move on. Because you can't go back and you can't change it. And the more you sit there and get depressed about it, the more down you're going to be and there's nothing you can do. Like, of course, you know, if you said something mean to someone or something, you can apologize. But if someone, if during a conversation, someone didn't make you feel how you were hoping or something wasn't said, like a point of uh, encouragement or a point of gratitude, you know, towards you, um, you know, just realizing, you know what, it's okay. I'm going to do better. I'm going to be better that's what I can control. Another weakness that is listed for melancholies is perfectionism. And I don't know, I think every personality can deal with this to some degree. But what do you do, Taylor, when you're finding yourself living in a sense of perfectionism? How do you how do you find ways to get out of that? Um, I think with perfectionism, honestly, that's something that I've also had to work on is realizing that not everything can be perfect. Um, you know, whether that be the tidiness in your house, whether that be your work life, whether that be your relationships, um, you know, you can do your best, but at the end of the day, you can do what you can control. And, you know, obviously expecting the best out of the outcome or out of the thing you're trying to do, but then also having grace for yourself, realizing that you are a human and as long as you're doing the best that you can and you know you're doing the best that you can, not just faking it, but knowing that you really are trying your best, that's enough. And I think that that's something that, you know, Sarah and I have had many a conversation about just realizing that the perfectionism doesn't have to necessarily be there, but what does have to be there is the mentality of realizing that you are enough and that enough is 
what God really wants at the end of the day. And he wants you to realize that you, you really, you are enough, you know, whether with perfectionism, that's words or again, like cleaning the house with the truck, whatever, you know, enough. I'm trying to just think how to describe this, but it's just, nobody can be 100% truly perfect that as long as you're putting forth your best foot every day and maybe sometimes you don't even do it every day you're gonna have bad days you're gonna have bad weeks you might have bad months and even years but just doing the best you can with what you're provided that is enough right and and I know that for our faith we really believe that when it's be therefore perfect eventually um, as one of our favorite church leaders says, it, perfectionism cannot be achieved in this life. That is an ongoing process. And I, I believe that our Savior Jesus Christ is that example for us of who we strive to be like. I heard this, I heard this once um, from a good friend of ours is that if you are constantly trying to obtain perfectionism, you will never be able to re- relate with anyone. You You won't be able to have empathy for people. You won't be able to show true compassion because if everything always has to be a hundred percent on all the time. And, and this could be for any personality. I know that for me as a cleric sanguine, I have to have almost like a sense of, it's really a sense of control, but I have to have control in certain areas of my life. And if I don't have that control, then sometimes I have a meltdown, which I had one of those earlier this week. And Taylor is amazing and has grace with me. And I think that's really the biggest thing that my takeaway is just having, regardless of if you're a melancholy or a phlegmatic or, or what your personality is, have grace with yourself and have grace with other people in, in their personality. Taylor, the last question I want to ask you before we jump into the marriage chapter, chapter six, what would you tell fellow melancholies? Maybe they've read this book. Maybe they haven't read this book. Maybe they've just listened to the podcasts. What do you feel like is just a word of, uh, I don't know, advice or just something that you've learned about being a melancholy that you would depart to to other people? Yeah, I think for me, the biggest thing, as soon as you asked me that was, because it's something that's helped me out a lot, is go and study the strengths and the weaknesses of a blue melancholy. Like, go look at them and then kind of, you know, do a self-evaluation and circle the ones that you feel like you're good at in both categories and make a plan, you know, okay, these are my weaknesses. Maybe I'm a little pessimistic, you know, towards a lot of things, or maybe I am overly organized and I can see that it stresses people out or I know it stresses people (laughs) out or, you know, looking at those and saying, okay, what can I do to change that or to take steps to change? And then also looking at the strengths and saying, hey, I'm really good at having conversation with people. That's awesome. And like, be proud of yourself for it. You know, you don't need to get a big head, but be proud of yourself for it because that's something that you're doing well in the category that you are, like in your personality type, you know, and and really be, be happy with what you've accomplished because I feel like, and, and this is something that also I've realized is with every personality, like every personality has their weaknesses and you'll start to recognize that in people as you study the strengths and weaknesses really of all of them, but you'll recognize it more. And if anything, that for me has been another thing is that has helped is 
I've noticed, you know, strengths and weaknesses in others that I know what their personality is or like what color they are, so to say. Um, and it helps me feel better about, you know what, every personality has strengths and they have weaknesses. It's not that the sad, you know, sadness mm-hmm. from inside out, it's not like that. You know, they really highlight her, her weaknesses in that movie. And that's kind of the theme of the, the story, but it's every personality has their strengths and weaknesses. And so again, that's what I would give as far as word of advice is go study the strengths, go study the weaknesses of the blue melancholy, figure out what you're good at, figure out what you're not good at and do better. Right. I love it. And I think too, to end kind of this all up with going back to that movie inside out, something that I've actually always really connected with, with that film is the fact that at the end we see how important how important sadness is, how important that blue emotion is, because that's what truly allows us to experience joy. That's what truly allows us to 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 look back on the things that have happened to us and really feel things. I think sometimes that sanguine in me and Taylor and I've seen this a lot. It's I got to be happy all the time. I got to be on all the time. And that's really exhausting. It is so exhausting. And to be able to just sometimes take that step back and say, I'm going to be okay with these emotions. I'm, I'm going to be okay that I'm not okay. And that is a huge, that's been a huge thing for me and a huge help that Taylor's helped me with. We are all for optimism, but it's it's been really helpful. So thank you, honey. So welcome. <laughs> all right. So we're going to jump into the marriage chapter. Chapter six, we skipped that last week. But I want to go ahead and read the beginning of this chapter to everyone. You can find this on page 133 and 134. Every relationship takes work. Two best friends from high school an employer and a long-term employee, a husband and a wife, all have to invest in their relationship to make it last over the years. Nearly everyone who has been involved in any type of long-term relationship can cite numerous rough spots when either party could have walked away or quit, but instead chose to work through the differences. Yet most of us do not view marriage the same way. We expect The blush of love to cover over the differences in marriage. Differences that we'd accept and expect in any other relationship. While every relationship takes work, nearly every relationship can work, especially when both parties are willing to make the effort that is required to make that happen. But even if only one party is willing to make changes, remarkable improvement can be made. It is a fact that when it comes to relationships, most of us are attracted to people who are opposite from us. When we look at marriage, I believe this is how God intended it to be. When functioning in our strengths, the varied skills, emotions, and viewpoints that a husband and wife bring into marriage create balance and perspective. The two truly do become one with a complete complement of abilities. In areas in which I am strong or gifted, my husband is weak or less gifted. Likewise, in areas in which he excels, I need help. When we understand each other, our varied abilities and opposing strengths and weaknesses, We can take advantage of those differences. Together, we can bring about personal growth and balance in one another without such an understanding of our personalities and how we can complement each other. We would switch from attract mode to attack mode. I wanted to start off by reading that and 
to go back to kind of the beginning, Marisha says all of us have to invest in a relationship. I think, and, and this was something that maybe I, going into my marriage, Taylor and I, we've been married a little over four and a half years. We're celebrating our fifth anniversary in June, which is crazy to think about. And in all reality, as I'm going through all of this, I realize that we are just babies when it comes to marriage. There is so much that we have to learn. But I also feel like we have learned a lot for us. And studying Wired that way early on in our marriage was something that was really helpful because we were able to address our emotional needs. But investing is so important because when Taylor and I don't invest in our marriage, when we don't take the time and energy to sow into each other, that's when emotional depletion starts to happen. That's when our buckets get empty. And that's when we start to live in our weaknesses of our personalities. On page 134, Marisha talks about opposites attracting. She says that throughout many, many marriages, you will find most couples share one of the personalities. I, as I've mentioned, choleric sanguine. Taylor is a melancholy choleric. So while we're polar opposite with melancholy and sanguine, we both share the category of choleric. I would definitely encourage everyone to read the chart on page 140 because this explains what's called the marital balance sheet and you can see that where which categories you share in. I know for Taylor and me as I was reading through the powerful choleric or the active marriage is what it's called what she refers to it as. Um, he and I are both very goal-oriented high accomplishments. We both have very, very high energy. The sanguine, the yellow is the fun marriage. Uh, the peaceful phlegmatic is the relaxed marriage and the perfect melancholy is the organized marriage. So I would just encourage everyone to go back to that because that is a lot, a lot of couples can relate to that. At the same time, not every couple shares the same, the same personalities. You might find a sanguine choleric wife married to a phlegmatic melancholy husband when you are completely polar opposite from your spouse or your significant other it can take some extra work because you don't have those common common squares but with that being said it's also important to remember like she says on page 145 every relationship can work but every single relationship takes work and there are so many blessings that come from that work because as we're going back to the beginning of this chapter, we need to invest in our marriages. We need to invest in each other. And so again, I'm going to refer back to page 84, our emotional needs chapter, because that is a really big theme throughout this, this uh, the marriage chapter. Remind, reminders that sanguines, the yellow sanguines, attention, affection, approval, and acceptance. The red cholerics, loyalty, sense of control, credit for good work, achievement. The, the green phlegmatics, peace and quiet, feeling of self-worth, lack of stress and respect. And the blue melancholy, sensitivity, support, space and silence. Throughout chapter six, Marisha goes through basic emotional needs of each marriage partner. She goes through and explains if you are a yellow married uh, a yellow sanguine married to a blue melancholy some key things to make note of same of if you are a 
red choleric and you're married to a green phlegmatic ways that you can help fill each other's buckets. I want to bring Taylor back in. I'm going to ask him a couple of questions about his takeaway from this chapter and what he has learned about communicating with me as a melancholy choleric living with a a choleric sanguine. So Taylor, what have been what were your major takeaways from reading the marriage chapter? And if you have any stories or experiences you want to share about us, I, I don't know what what you would sh- what you would plan to share, but I trust you in <laughs> everything that you would would need to say. And if there's something that you feel would help someone out there, go for it. All right, you asked for it. So <laughs> one time, no, I'm just kidding. No, I think um, just mine and Sarah's dynamic is, and just like she said, you know, with us sharing that red choleric uh, square, you know, that's. Something that we've had to work on, um, not that it's bad or anything, it's just that we're both kind of that very opinionated, driven type of people. And so, uh, you know, we don't always see eye to eye or line up, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because there's really good points um, with each. Um, but I think as far as like us having opposite squares, uh, Sarah being the yellow sanguine and me being the blue melancholy, um, that's something that both of us have really had to work on. And I think that's been one of the hardest things, honestly, because we are opposite in that regard. You know, Sarah would rather go out on the town and I'd rather stay inside and just stay home and eat my pizza. <laughs> if you can't tell by now, I love pizza. Um, but I think stuff that that's crust, some, people. stuff crust. That's something though that like we've had to learn with each other is, you know, I need to be a little bit more, uh, not necessarily outgoing, but I need to be more willing to get out and do stuff, um, you know, on date night. And Sarah's had to learn that it's okay to stay home. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and so I think that as we've uh, been in different scenarios and different circumstances or experiences, um, we've learned from each one of those and we've communicated with each other afterwards of, how it went or how we felt or maybe something we can do different next time or maybe something that, um, you know, would help one of us while we're in that situation that we're not necessarily the most comfortable being in. Um, and, and I think that's just the key right there is just having open communication. And that, that part sometimes sucks and it's hard. And, but I think that having that line of communication open is, is so key and crucial because if you just hold it in, you know, if, if we're just staying home all night eating pizza every night and Sarah just holds it in, you know, how am I going to know? I'm, I'm not. She, she's got to communicate that with me and vice versa. You know, if we're going out every single night and doing stuff and it's really wearing on me and it's draining me, I need to communicate with her. And so having that communication with each other and, you know, really just being honest with each other in a very kind way, um, that's something that we've really had to establish and that's been a lot of trial and error. Taylor, one thing I was wondering if you could talk about a little bit, some of my major emotional needs are combined sanguine and choleric, having achievement and attention and approval. So if you could talk a little bit about that and how you've learned to fill those needs of mine and yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think something that goes right hand in hand with that, and 
one of Sarah's big love languages is uh, words of affirmation. And, you know, having that praise and approval and accomplishment, that's, you know, that's, that's key. And that's something that I'm still, you know, trying to do my best on and, and work on. And um, I think that, you know, when you can really narrow down your spouse's uh, needs, it helps quite a bit. And I think something that's also important too, and this is something that me and Sarah have talked about, is making sure that when you do communicate with your spouse and you do start to try to fill their needs, making sure that the one that's receiving acknowledges and says, you know, thank you, that that's re- that's something that I really needed. Because otherwise, you know, you can try to fill those needs as much as you can, but without receiving anything in response, you, you know, you sit there and question or wonder if what you're trying to do is even helping at all. Yeah, and that's definitely something that we are constantly working on is acknowledging and thanking each other because Marisha talks about how filling other people's needs are is, is a total unnatural experience because it's not something that you need. For Taylor, he doesn't really need the attention and the affection like I do. Um, obviously, he needs loyalty, sense of control, achievement, but since that's my primary primary personality, it's not as strong as his melancholy needs. I wanted to take a second to talk about what I've learned with living with you as a melancholy. I'd say the biggest ones that have been major struggles for me have been space and silence. And I just want to share a story with this. I am a person that I really, really struggle when it's quiet and constantly have to be talking. And my idea initially of getting married is like, we cuddle all the time and he holds my hand wherever I go. And we have to make sure we're on the same couch if we're going to watch a movie together. And that was not something that Taylor needed. If anything, I've made him a little claustrophobic at times because I've always had to be right next to him and I constantly have to have noise going. And so it was like we never could, especially in the beginning of getting married, we couldn't ride in the car with it being quiet or it was really difficult for me to sit next to him and not not say something or not, not touch his arm. And it actually for quite some time... I wouldn't say you you resented me, but it was really difficult for you to connect with me on a deeper level because I was just pushing him and I was not filling his needs. I was not giving him that time. And so I've had to learn that if Taylor needs time for himself, it doesn't mean that he's mad at me. If he's not talking to me, it doesn't mean that I said something or did something wrong. It's just that he is a melancholy needs that. And Taylor, what have you found by me doing those things? Has that helped you? And what have you noticed? Yeah, I mean, that just like what Sarah was saying is, you know, uh, it was kind of a smothering type of feeling. And as a blue melancholy, you, you need your your time, your space. <laughs> you know, that's just how you refuel. That's how you recharge. And so, um, you know, for a handful of years, that you know, just wasn't happening for me. And, and I didn't even really recognize it either. But when we started to, you know, figure this out and talk about it, then, you know, Sarah really did her best to 
allow me to have my space and my time. And, um, and I feel like that for me, all of a sudden I was just a little bit happier. Like I was, and it's really weird too, because, you know, growing up again, having masked that yellow sanguine, that's the exact opposite. But then all of a sudden when I was given what a blue melancholy needs, I had more energy. I had more bandwidth, um, to, you know, show Sarah or any other relationship in my life. And, uh, it's funny because just before doing this recording, I just got out of a long, hot shower. And that was one of the the first things that I told Sarah is, wow, I really enjoy long, hot showers. Cause that gives me time. That gives my, me my space and my silence. And it just, it ticks all the, the boxes, <laughs> checks all my boxes. So I love, I love long, hot showers. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yes. And I'm really excited because in June, we're actually going to be reading a marriage book called Love and Respect and more details, of course, to come. So there is so much that we we could go into tonight, just even about those things that Taylor needs as a man versus needs of a woman. But for the sake of, of this podcast, we won't go into that tonight. But I think it's something that I have learned is that Taylor has his needs. I have my needs. It doesn't make him or me any less or better. Those are just our needs. And the more that we have grace for each other and recognize how valuable those needs are, the more peace and harmony that we we truly have. Taylor, one question I have for you is what would you say to a couple who is looking to get on track in their marriage when it comes to the personalities? Oof. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> We're still learning. <laughs> um, <laughs> Trying to figure it all out. I think that just having grace for one another, I mean, that's your first step. And that's something that me and Sarah also had to do. And I think the next thing is really trying. Like, don't just read about it or, you know, listen to this podcast or, you know, someone's opinion, but really, really sit down and talk to each other and get a game plan going. Um, cause it's one thing to listen and to, you know, read, but it's a whole another thing to actually put it into play. Right. Um, and not just putting it into play, but game plan. Like what is something that, uh, you know, I, I think back when me and Sarah, when we first started learning about all this, I remember that, uh, our first, like we started just to ask each other, like, so what do you need? So what do you need? So what do you need? And I think something that helped us was when we, before we started asking each other that, well, we'd already asked each other, but something that helped was when we actually started to think for ourselves of what do I need? Because sometimes you don't even know what you need and you don't even know what you want from your spouse. And so I think first, like that's a really good first step is just to really think, what do I want and what do I need? And then communicate that, you know, that's something that me and Sarah have had to do many a times and we both forget and we're both human. And so we both have to remind each other, Hey, this is something, remember I would mentioned this and, Oh yeah, that's right. And so I think the more and more you do that, the more and more it becomes ingrained and then it not, it's not hard anymore. And it just becomes more habit and, you know, getting to that point, which there's still a bunch of stuff that we haven't gotten to that point, but there are some things that we have and it, it makes things just so much better. Um, it's a very noticeable difference. So I think bottom line, the first step that I would do, I would just really start asking yourself personally, 
what is it that I want? What is it that I need? And then communicate it and continue to remind until it just becomes a habit with each other. And I would add too, what does my spouse want and what does my spouse need? Mm -hmm. Because when we start to think about the other person and put our needs aside a little bit, then we're truly able to, to grow together. And I think some, I, I love, 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 love how you said this, Taylor, is you could read about it all you want. And I think that's a good reminder for not only this book, but all other books that we read. You can read all day long, but until you actually go and apply, you're not probably really going to see any changes at all. That's been my issue in the past with certain self-help books is it's like, okay, I read the book. What do I do with this? And it can get discouraging and then you're just stuck in the same position before you read the book and often people feel more discouraged because they have all this knowledge but can't really apply it anywhere. And so I think another big thing I would say is figure out what works for you and your spouse. If we're going back to some of the other chapters, figure out what works for you in your parenting, figure out what works for you and your coworkers. But I love this book Wired That Way because it really is a great, great guide. So that is everything for this week. And again, Taylor, thank you so much for joining on today. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. That was a lot of fun. That was fun. We enjoy doing this kind of stuff. So that's us as a couple. (laughs) (laughs) Some people would be like, why? First of all, why are, you know, one person making a podcast and then two people together and it's just something we love. We love doing this kind of stuff together. So like I said, next week we have our group discussion over Zoom and that will take place March 4th at 8 p.m. Again, please direct message me on Instagram for the login details. For homework, I would encourage anyone who is married, serious relationship, or again, who's single, so that really applies to everyone, is going through that marriage chapter and really studying it and seeing how you can improve yourself and what you can do to fill your spouse's needs, your girlfriend, boyfriend's needs, or what you can do for the future, for your future spouse. I know I gave out a lot of homework last week as well, which I hope everyone enjoyed. And if you weren't able to get to that, I know I posted it on Sunday, so a little bit late. But you can always do the homework this week as well. That would be a great thing to do as well is taking the the homework that I've posted on my Instagram and starting to apply it. Thank you everyone for participating. I hope everyone enjoyed this. I, I know I did just going back and forth with my husband and he has such phenomenal perspective. And like I said, I think he adds such a wonderful, wonderful flavor is probably the best way to put it to this podcast. And I am excited to add him in occasionally for the future. Love you all.